I mentioned earlier that we've been supporting John Patton since 1997, just before he went to the field for the first time. And uh, the last time he was here was in 2008. Mark Essie was the interim pastor at that time. And I remember I was working with Mark at the time, and he, he was telling me about John being here and, uh, and had nothing but good things to say about him. And uh, I've been happy to have communication with him over the years through Spain and, and now seeing him get married and, and have kids has been just a, a special blessing from the Lord and excited about what God is doing there in Spain and, and exciting, uh, excited to have him here today and his wife's teaching downstairs as well. So, John, why don't you come and preach for us and then when we smell chicken, we'll be done. All right? All right. <laughs> Pastor's going to have to be careful when he says that. I lived a few years in Tennessee, so we love chicken. I could probably smell it now. Um, actually, uh, some of you remember, uh, Bob remembers Javier. I met the Lagos family through a barbecue. They were they had a barbecue going, and hey, what is that? I smell. But anyways, but I wanted to take this opportunity once again to thank you for your support and your prayers. Um, we need your prayers. We need your support. And I'm just, I'm really, um, it's just a blessing to see how you are so generous in supporting your missionaries. It's, uh, it's just a great encouragement. And uh, we thank you for your prayers for us too. Um, I just wanted to give you an update real quickly before we go to Scripture and uh, learn more about God's Word. We are uh, on furlough. Our plan is to return to the mission field in April, uh, working on uh, Wendy's visa. We have an appointment at the consulate there in early January to apply for that. We need to raise support. I didn't mention this in Sunday school, but uh, we still need to raise about $650 a month, and we're also raising uh, funds for a vehicle on the field, and we still need 16500 for that. So just be in prayer. Um, I wanted to say this, um, and that wasn't Pastor's fault. It's if if uh, I don't communicate, it's my fault. But uh, both my parents are in the hospital right now. So my dad is the one who's usually the sicker person, but both my parents are in the hospital. They were admitted, I believe, yesterday. It was either yesterday or the day before. And I really need to go and take care of some things there. Um, but uh, we're we're looking forward to to our the meal together, and we really appreciate you inviting us to that. I'd like you to turn with me uh, to the uh, book of Genesis, Genesis uh, chapter 12, if you would. And while you're turning there, one of the things I've been uh, thinking a lot about lately is, uh, is heaven. And I don't know if it's because I'm getting old. You know, you, you have to be careful about saying that word, uh, mature, <laughs> but... Uh, I've been thinking about heaven, and I was talking to Wendy in the car, and I said, now, Wendy, when you get to heaven, who would you like to talk to? You know, you've got the Bible, we have Scripture, and we've got the Bible, and uh, but I'm sure there's someone that you would like to sit down with and say, you know, the Scripture said this, but there are some parts of it left out. I'm just really curious about in your life or something, the way that God worked. Is there someone you you really are looking forward to meeting in heaven, maybe sitting down with and hey, let's uh you know, I want to ask you about this detail about about what the Bible says. Well, it led me to to the question, who is the most important besides Jesus Christ that was born in this world, who is the most important person 
to ever be born in this world. Did you ever think about that? Now, we we'll all have different answers. Um, you might prefer someone from the Old Testament. I remember as a child, we had uh, Bible and pictures for little eyes. They have that in Spanish too now, by the way. But I just remember, so my image of these Bible characters was from that book, you know, growing up. But it might be, uh, maybe it's Adam, you know. Can you imagine? I mean, here's this handsome man, very, probably one of the smartest men that ever lived. And, you know, this beautiful wife. And he, he, he had the capacity to name the animals. And I'm sure they, they probably named the plants. And so they could distinguish them all. And they were, you know, fellowshipping with the Lord. Or maybe it's uh, Daniel, you know, with the, in the lion's den. I mean, can you imagine? I have a lot of respect. I like wild animals. I grew up in the jungle, but I have a lot of respect for them, them and snakes. But uh, Or maybe it's Moses, you know. Can you imagine going up there and talking with God and your face shining and you have the Ten Commandments that, they, that God wrote? I mean, just all these things that, that He did and, uh, over His lifetime. But maybe, or maybe it's someone from the New Testament. Maybe you have a favorite, you know. Maybe it's the Apostle Paul, or one of the other, you know, disciples or, or apostles or, or John or, or Peter. I mean, you know, you might have. Well, there's one person that I want to focus on today that sometimes I think gets left out. Yes, we know he's an important person, but I wanted to focus on today. Our main passage is going to be in the New Testament, but we need to read this to kind of get a background. And if you would read with me, I'm going to read. Uh, Chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim, unto the plain of Moreh. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for this opportunity we have to study Your Word and to hear the preaching. I just pray that You will bless it, that we won't get distracted. We just uh, thank You for the uh, opportunity we have to be in this country, that we still have the, um, the freedom to meet as a, as a church without uh, being afraid of people coming in here and, and taking us away. I just pray that You will bless this time, that... Uh, you will uh, give us insight into this, not only uh, for history's sake, but also that we can apply it in our own lives and help us in our in our growth. Help us to uh, do your will in everything, and uh, bless the fellowship also. We are we have this time in Jesus' name, Amen. Now, before going to the New Testament, I want you to look in the last few verses of chapter 11. There were some, uh, and it says here in. Uh, Verses 29-30 says, And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. And then there's a verse there It says, in verse 30 of chapter 11, But Sarai was barren, she had no child. Now, when we study this on our own, we just kind of, oh, oh, you know, that's very interesting. And then we just go on. Well, you know, it's a fact. And But this is a very important, that verse is a very important part 
of this passage. And that's and we're gonna we're gonna focus on that later. So that that was the background to what we're going to read in the New Testament. I'd like you to turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter eleven. We're gonna look at verses eight through thirteen. As you're as you're going to Hebrews, those of you who have your Bibles, as you go to Hebrews eleven, eight through thirteen, um I we need to talk about when we're reading this passage in Hebrews, we need to think about what was the purpose of the writing of the book of Hebrews. Now, if you look at the book of Hebrews, it has many topics. There are a lot of topics, and you could probably spend months teaching or preaching on just one of those topics. But uh, one of the things that the author had to deal with, and we know that this is inspired by God, God had His purpose behind it, but the author... What, what did he have behind it? Well, when he was writing Hebrews, especially this passage, one thing that we have to keep in mind is who were the first people to read it? Who were the per- first people to listen to these words? And those were people that grew up in a system, they grew up in a culture, they grew up in a religion where not only was their relationship with God all based on a, basically a list of do's and don'ts, but even their salvation was based on that. So we have to understand that. And that's something that he has to deal with here in the book of Hebrews. So as we're reading, we need to keep that in mind. So if you would follow with me, we're in Hebrews 11. We're going to look at verses 8 through 13. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed them that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So we have to we have to see the the main topic here in this passage. The key word in this passage is the word faith. And Abraham not only was saved by faith, but he lived by faith. And in verse thirteen it says, "And he died in faith." In verse eight. It says by faith, Abraham when he was called. Now it's important to know that when Abraham was called, he was living as a pagan in a pagan land. Sometimes we don't think about that. Joshua 24, at the end of his life, he's speaking to the children of Israel. He says, And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the son of Abraham, the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. God did not select him because he was righteous or devout. There was nothing special about Abraham for God to choose him. It wasn't because of the family he came from. It wasn't his race or because of goodness in his life. Although, there wasn't anything special about him. Although undoubtedly God was working in his heart to prepare him for this time. Abraham was just as bad as all the other sinners that surrounded him. 
And we have to relate to this in our own lives. Sometimes we think, well, of course God called me. Look at how special I am. Well, God didn't call Abraham because he was good looking. He didn't call him because of his wealth or his intelligence. He didn't call him because he was wise or where he lived or because he had a good heart. He was just as bad as all the sinners that surrounded him. In God's grace, mercy, and love, we see when we study his life, he decided to choose and call Abraham for a very important role. And we have to think, what was going on in the world at the time of Abraham's calling? Of course, it was Abraham at the time when he called him, but well, at the time of his calling, what was going on in the world? Well, you think of the history. You have, you have God creating man. In the Garden of Eden, everything was fine until man sinned. And then God had to kick him out of the, the, the garden. And in, in a short amount of time, between the time man sinned, before you know it, mankind has fallen so far in, in their sin that God says, I'm going to destroy this world. And you had, we don't know exactly what it means, but... Uh, uh, it's possible that they there were these uh, fallen angels that were were uh, cohabitating with uh, with the, the daughters of men and so forth. And you had these these beings that were being born, and God says, "That is enough. I'm going to destroy the people, and I'm going to." And He decided to choose Noah. He saved Noah and his family. Now, after the floods uh, went down and they came out of the ark. Yes, there was still that Adamic nature. There was still sin in their heart. But mankind had another opportunity to start over again. Then guess what happened? Before you know it, they are so rebellious against God and don't even want to have anything to do with God. They're building this tower, the Tower of Babel. It's like, we don't care about you, God. We're just going to do whatever we want. So what did God have to do? He, he separate, separated them in language groups. So they had to go to the four corners of the earth. And He separated them through language groups. And that's when we... See, God calling Abraham. And once again, they fell into sin. And so you have Abraham. Now, we don't know specifics about his background. We know what city he was from. And you have tradition. And some people think that his city had two parts. There was the religious section and then there was more the, uh, the other uh, secular part of the world where, uh, or the city. And he was from the religious section. He might have come from a priestly home. A priestly lineage. And so this whole idea of altars and sacrifices, he had done that. He knew that. He grew up with that. He might have been a priest if God hadn't called him. But not adoring and worshiping God, the real God. It was all a false religion. So that's when God called him. Verse 8 says, He obeyed and he went out not knowing whether he went. There were no posters. There were no maps. I like to check out online, you know, TripAdvisor. There were no brochures. There were no pictures. Abraham, this is where you're going. You know, let's, you know, are you sold on it? No. What, did the, what does the Bible say? He just went. So we have to ask ourselves. Here he is. He left country. He left his home. He left his family, which is just totally against that culture. Not only did Abraham leave everything behind he had ever known up until that point, but he spent quite a bit of time in Haran before going to Canaan. And uh, we don't know why. Some people, you know, I've read that some people think, well, he was disobeying God when he was in Haran. We don't really know for sure. We know he was there for, for years until his father died and then he went to Canaan. But here he is. And can you imagine his family? Well, they're, they're supposed to be going to Canaan and they're not there yet. They're waiting and waiting and waiting. Well, I know what my kids say. 
Are we there yet? You know what the other question is? Dad, are we lost? No, we're not lost. But uh, then verse 9. We get to verse 9. It says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in the strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Here it says he sojourned as in a strange country. This is where we come in because we need to have the same attitude towards living here in this world. The other versions say by faith he lived as an alien. So you have strange, you know, living in a strange country or living as an alien. Well, that's what it was. It's the same concept. In Genesis 17, 8, God Himself says, The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. I will be the God. So that was God's attitude towards us. You are an alien. You're a foreigner. And you remember Moses? So this concept was, was passed on from generation to generation. Do you remember when Moses' son was born? He named him Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. That was in Exodus 2. So all that time had passed. He still had that concept of being a foreigner, a stranger, a strange land. And this theme is seen elsewhere in, in Psalms and First Chronicles. Verse 10, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He decided to depend on God instead of being satisfied with the limited and temporary rewards that this world could offer. I, I enjoy uh, dealing with, conversing with, spending time with mature, mature people. You know why? One, thing, one of the things that I like about doing that is they know this does not work. This is not going to give you satisfaction. This is not what's important in life. Because they've tried it. Abraham had to have known that the promises God gave, made to him did not just pertain to the here and now, the physical, here and now on earth. Those promises had to have a spiritual dimension and fulfillment. Just as God's words and promises would never be broken or destroyed, he knew that what God built would last Forever, and you, I mean, we all know that in the in the New Testament, you have Jesus says, "I will go." You know, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and there are many mansions. Well, it, that concept is in the Old Testament as well. I'm going to go and prepare a city. So He's preparing a place for us, and this is something that He's looking forward to. Verses 11 through 12 talk about the birth of Isaac. It took great faith to believe that Abraham and Sarah would have a child. And I'm sure if he had neighbors, like I have neighbors in Spain, you know, what they do is they, the friends, if, if they have a concern about you, they get together. Now, this, the Bible, this is not in the Bible, but I can just imagine that, uh, you know, all those years that Abraham was in the Promised Land, that he had to have had some neighbors, some close friends that got together. You know, Abraham's over there and they go, hey, we got to decide who's going to go talk to him about this problem. So he had either the group or one of them go up to Abraham and say, Abraham, you know, this thing you told us where God, he, he made himself known to you and he called you to this promised land and you're going to have a child and, you know, all these offspring and you're going to have all this land. Well, you don't have any of that. So maybe you're wrong. We're just trying to help you here. Maybe it wasn't even God. Maybe he just—I mean, we don't know what they told him, but I'm sure there was pressure. Here he is he's waiting for all these promises. It just wasn't happening. And who was it that laughed when God said they were going to have a child? Sarah, you're right. Did you know Abraham did too? Because in Sarah, in chapter 18, Sarah does that. 
it says, And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. We'd already read that, that phrase before. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old so also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Well, we forget Abraham did the same thing in the previous chapter because it tells us in chapter 17, verse 17, and it says, Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. When God told him that, he says, it says, And he laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? He just did what was natural. Sarah did what was natural. God told him this was going to happen. They just laughed. That was what came naturally. That's impossible. That just does not happen. Do we laugh at God sometimes? We don't have to put our hands up. We do. We just can't believe God's going to do that in our lives. When Isaac was born, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. The Bible tells us that. Romans 4.19 says that he still had faith. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now we're going to take a look at verse 13. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed them. They were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. To me, now we have our favorite verses. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And when we read this, when we study this, we need to think about how does that apply to me? Yes, it happened. It's truth. But it applies to us too. We know he considered himself an alien and a foreigner even after living in the promised land all those years. Because after Sarah passed away, find in Genesis 23, verse 4, he tells the local people, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And earlier in the verse, it says, These all died in faith, the one we're studying, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them. And we need to do that too. Abraham had great faith because he did not have much to show for it, but he still believed anyway. What does it say? These all died in faith, not having received the promises. We know that the only piece of land that Abraham owned was a field with a cave that had he had purchased from Ephron the Hittite. Verse 10, son of Zohar, uh, verse 8, to bury his wife in. And we won't read that passage. We don't have time. But that's what happened. So he had this little piece of land with a cave in it where they buried, uh, where he buried his wife and then others were buried there later. But it was so insignificant. You can't say he even lived there. He didn't have a house there. He didn't live there. He didn't work there. It was just a cemetery he bought to bury his family. In fact, it was so insignificant. You have Stephen when he's, when he's uh, discoursing in Acts 7, uh, 1 through 5. Stephen says, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And so then he goes and he explains. And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Charan and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Charan 
And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein he now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it, not so much as to set his foot in on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the key ingredient that gave Abraham such faith? How could Abraham leave his comfortable home and go somewhere he didn't even know? It was unheard of in his time. In that culture, you stay with your family. You have children. You have others to keep it going. You don't go somewhere else. Well, the key ingredient was God's spoken Word. He had such great faith because he knew that God had spoken to him. So I have to ask, what we have to ask is, do we believe God's promises? Now, yes, I understand the Bible is not a private interpretation. But when we read the Bible, especially when we do it in personal study, do we believe God's speaking to us? Isn't it the living Word? God is speaking to us. Why is Abraham lifted up as an example of faith for us to follow? We, we, we discussed some of this. We touched on this, some of this. But he trusted God before he had a son. He trusted God even before seeing the promised land. He trusted God before owning any of the land in Canaan, before becoming the father of many people, and what's even more important than all those other things that I had said before, before getting a reward in heaven, which is so much more important. Abraham had the faith that we desire because of the close relationship he had with God. Another might have talked with God. Another might have walked with God. But Abraham was a friend of God. And we have that even in the New Testament. It says in James 2.23, And the Scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So how does that tie in with us and our salvation and all that? Well, we're going to see. In 2 Chronicles 27.5, says, Abraham, your friend. Isaiah 41.8, Abraham, my friend. And then... I like this verse in Job. It says in Job 16.21, because it's that same concept. It says, Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. So you're probably thinking, well, John, that's great for Abraham. What about me? I want to be the friend of God. You can be a friend of God. John 15.13-14 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. It's talking about that same thing, the relationship they have with God. Abraham is the father of all who put their faith in God and in His Word. And we have it. Romans 4. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end. The promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Romans 9.8, that is, they which are of the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are the counted for the seed. And then Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see how it's the same thing. It's the same faith. And I'm going to read this passage, then we'll, uh, we'll finish up. It says in Galatians 3. I want you to listen very carefully. It says in Galatians 3. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then, 
They which of the faith are blessed with faithful Abraham, for as many are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Curses everyone that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. We talked about that earlier. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by the faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. I realize that uh, some of the homes that we stay in when we go to our supporting churches, not all the people are believers, okay? They're not all Christians. Some of them think they are. I was at one of my supporting churches and uh, I went out with the husband. Um, we were in the car waiting for the ladies to come out. And uh, I, I asked him, I asked a lot of people this because I, I like to know how God led them to the Lord, you know, when they came to know Christ. And I said, well, when were, when were you saved? And he turned to me and he said, well, I've always been a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home and I grew up in a, the church. Well, the whole idea of salvation, I don't think he understands the whole idea of salvation because when we are saved, we aren't just saved to something. We are saved from something. You think about, remember the commercials, you have the lady, and this is the type of uh, detergent I used to use on Johnny, you know, He's a soccer player and he's got a white outfit. He gets green and you know the mud and the grass all over, and and this is what it looked like when I was done. And then you go, oh, you know, a year later, this this is Johnny now. He's even more dirty. And then when they get done with the new, there's a before and there's an after. God saves saves us from something. He doesn't just save us to something. One of the topics that we did not discuss that uh, is uh, very important when we see this passage in Hebrews especially. But one of the topics that we haven't discussed yet is identity. And I know as, as I travel that people, have, especially Christians, they have a problem with identity. They're seeing all the things that are going on in the world, the economy and the jobs and, and the medical problems and, and not being able to pay for it. it is a problem, but they have a problem with identity because they don't know, you know, who am I and what I, what have I have to do with this and how is God working? I mean, what's, what's going to happen to me? So we need to take a look at that just very briefly. In the first passage, passage that we looked at in Genesis, the people needed identity. The first people to, to read and the first people to hear that passage in Genesis, it was for them. When, when God had that written... He knew that they needed identity. They were going into the promised land and they needed to know who, where did they come from, who were they, and what plan God had for them in their lives. Remember Daniel, too. He's one of the greatest men you know, in, that, in that era. And what was his role? To give the people identity. Here you have Babylon, Assyria, all these other, all these other nations that were just... Uh, and and the, the, some of the Israelites weren't even in their, in their land... And they needed to know, does God, does God remember us? I thought He was going to give us this land and make a great... We're not even, we don't even live there. So to give them identity. And then this passage in Hebrews, the same thing. You have the Romans. Well, the same thing's happening. God, do you still have a plan for us? And so He's giving them identity. So what does this have to do with us today? Some of you may not have received the promise. Just like Abraham. You're waiting for God to do something that He promised. Maybe you're still waiting for God to fulfill some of His promises to us. But the fact is, God has done something, hasn't He? Let's be honest. In fact, He's done a lot in our lives since uh, Jesus Christ became our personal Savior. 
So my challenge to you is this, this morning. If you don't remember anything else, my challenge to you is this. If God has done that much in this life, just think what He will do in the next. And we'll finish with this passage. Verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Pastor? Pastor?